Okay, how you doing, everybody? And we're live here. This is the John Riley Project. It's episode number 314. And, you know, we cover a lot of the topics and news updates about what's going on in San Diego County. I like to kind of hopscotch around um, some of the local news topics, kind of share my thoughts and opinions. Um, we've got a great episode in store for you today. So what are we going to be covering just to kind of give you the menu of what's going on? We're going to be talking about... Um, the excitement around San Diego sports with San Diego State and San Diego Padres. I'm not going to dwell on the sports data itself, but more about the community excitement around both of these teams um, as we head into this weekend. Uh, I'll be talking today a bit about Nathan Fletcher and his surprise um, uh, resignation, which is going to lead us into a conversation about mental health. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about homelessness in this episode, and then we're going to get into our regular community forum where we take your comments and questions and get you involved on the air. Um, And we're going to be also in the community forum. We're going to be talking about a number of things there as well, including Poway Unified School District, the Escondido Mayor, the farm in Poway, the Blacks Beach um, um, issue that we had a few weeks ago with migrants and the Rancho Bernardo Roads. So we've got a lot going on in this episode. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. You know, this is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I enjoy sharing these my thoughts and comments with you. And by the way, just so you know, if there are topics here that you think we need to be covering in San Diego that are not getting the coverage that you think they deserve, then let me know. You know, send me an email at john at johnreillyproject.com. Um, and I we would love to get your suggestions on different types of content to focus on. If there's a different format for the show, just let me know. And of course, if you want to sponsor an episode, uh, we'd be happy to, you know, have a conversation around that. So you can email me at john at johnreillyproject.com. Okay, so let's get started here. And I, I want to talk about this, this topic of San Diego sports and what a glorious time it is for the Padres and for the Aztecs right now. Now, Again, I, you know, I do a separate podcast every week with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, and we go way into the depth of covering local sports. And, and I try not to have too much sports in the John Riley Project episodes, um, just because I have a separate thing for that that I do with Hacksaw that I enjoy doing. But right now, there is just so much excitement that's going on throughout San Diego around our two teams. Um, The San Diego State Aztecs are going into the Final Four, which is unbelievable. The San Diego Padres are about to start their new season. Tomorrow is opening day. And there's really high hopes for those that team as well. And there's a lot of buzz in the community. A lot of fans that aren't really serious sports fans are kind of jumping on the bandwagon. And I think this is really good for bringing our community here in San Diego together. But let me just offer some thoughts and comments on each of these teams as we kind of get into this. So the San Diego State Aztecs, we'll start there. They have qualified to be in the final four, which this is a remarkable thing from an athletic perspective. What this means is, is that they have one of the top four basketball programs in the entire nation. There are 335 Division I basketball programs 
plus countless Division II, Division III, and NAIA programs. You know, thousands of colleges all have basketball programs. San Diego State is in the top four, the final four. I mean, if you roll the clock back 25 years ago, 30 years ago, the San Diego State Aztec basketball program was a disgrace. It was a joke. It was one of the worst Division I college programs in America. This was a program that struggled to recruit talented players, struggled to have quality head coaches. And when they were successful in getting good coaches, the teams often did poorly. There was very little community support around them. They played their games often either in Peterson Gym in San Diego State, which is like a like a high school gym, or they played their games at the San Diego Sports Arena, and it was like a moratorium in there. There was like, you know, a couple of thousand fans, if you were lucky, that would, you know, maybe fill 15% of the arena. But they've built a program, a program that I think a lot of us here in San Diego can be very proud of. Um you know, they built Cox Arena, which is now Viejas Arena on campus. And that that uh, be, that process began in the mid-90s. And then in 1999, they made a key hire, brought in Steve Fisher. Steve Fisher built this program and brought in quality people, quality players, quality coaches, not just in terms of their athletic skills and and coaching capabilities, but all of high moral character as well, good people, quality people to help build this program. And we've seen this program kind of ratchet up every year. And they're now in the final four, an incredible accomplishment. Um, I am just really excited about this because the San Diego State Aztecs are my adopted home team. I, I'm a, an alumni of, of UC San Diego. And by the way, UCSD was is. It was and still is a fantastic university. But I will say that the one missing piece of my college experience was that there was no Division I sports program. So that's why I adopted the San Diego State Aztecs. And then, and then when they hired Steve Fisher in 1999 is when I really embraced the program. So I've been following them pretty consistently, pretty religiously now for almost 25 years. And to see what's developed here is just amazing. If if you get a chance, and I, I would say this to sports fans or casual sports fans, if you get a chance, go to Viejas Arena and watch a San Diego State Aztec basketball game. It's an incredible environment with incredible energy in that arena. I mean, besides the fact that they have a quality product that they put out on the floor and they've been winning a lot of games, they've got a great student section, a student section that's enthusiastic and kind of funny, have lots of chants and songs. They dress up in costumes. It's fantastic. And it draws people from all over the county, not just sports fans, but San Diego State alumni. And that arena, 12,400 and I think 14, is usually darn near full, darn near sold out every game. And the band is there, you know, and the music, the energy in that arena is tremendous. So you're looking for a night out on the town, you want to try something different, I would highly recommend that. Um, and by the way, if you if you want to do something similar, UCSD is now Division One, and their basketball program is growing and building. And I've gone to a number of their games as well. Also, a really great fan experience. So it's just really special to see 
especially considering the San Diego sports for the longest time have been so horrible, so awful. There's been this San Diego sports curse where a lot of our local teams struggle to win at the highest level. I mean, San Diego State University, as far as I know, only has one Division I national championship, and that's in men's volleyball, and they no longer have that sport on campus. And now they're just two wins away from winning a national championship, which in my opinion is achievable. They're playing Florida Atlantic on Saturday, certainly a tough opponent, but this is one of the the darlings, one of the Cinderella's that's come through this tournament. It's not like they have to face Kansas or Duke or North Carolina or UCLA or some juggernaut in the semifinal. Florida Atlantic isn't a blue blood. This is a chance for the Aztecs to get into the national championship on Monday night, likely against the University of Connecticut, UConn, who, by the way, have a great team, but the Aztecs have already knocked out the number one team in the country in Alabama. So there's a great opportunity here for the San Diego San Diego State Aztecs to help overcome this curse that we've had in San Diego sports history that goes back decades with all the the missed field goal kicks by Nate Kading and and the dropped interceptions you know in the uh, the Marlon McCree interception in the Chargers games and the misery with the Padres for so long and and even with the Chargers leaving town, we had the Clippers here. They left town. So many teams have abandoned San Diego. The Rockets left to go to Houston. We've had some success with, say, the San Diego Soccers, which is an indoor soccer, which is a, you know, it's a great program, a great team. But it's not really at the high end of professional sports. This is a rare opportunity for San Diego to become relevant on the sports stage. And I think a lot of San Diegans are really embracing it. What do I think is going to happen? I think that the Aztecs will beat Florida Atlantic. It's, and it's going to be a tough game. And I expect them to win that. And then we're going to go into the national championship against UConn. The Aztecs would be the underdog. But, you know, underdogs have won throughout this tournament. You probably would only give the Aztecs a one in four chance of beating UConn in the championship. But, you know, my head says UConn, my heart says San Diego State. I mean, why not us? Why not San Diego? So what a great time. And then, by the way, the Padres are starting up. I mean, opening day is tomorrow. Now, hopefully it doesn't rain. I know it's raining as we speak, as we do this live stream. But I'm sure they've got all their opening day festivities and preparations underway. They've got contingency plans in case of the rain. But we're really fired up about this team, about this this season. I mean, Aztec fans are fired up. So are Padre fans. This is incredible. I mean, the Padres were in the National League Championship Series last year. They were essentially in the Final Four of baseball, just like the San Diego State Aztecs are this year. And now the Padres think they've got a legitimate shot to make it to the World Series. So there's all of this enthusiasm going around the Padres and the gas lamp quarter and everything that's going on at Petco Park. Another amazing experience for San Diego fans. If you've never gone to Petco to watch one of the Padre games, especially in the last few years when they've had Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Hugh Darvish and Joe Musgrove and all these great stars. This is 
a, a golden time in Padres history. You go to the games there at Petco, I mean, it's, there's an energy there. There's electricity. It's like a big party, especially for, you know, single people in their 20s and early 30s. And even older folks, I mean, it, it's a great time at Petco. And now the season's about to start, a highly anticipated season after the Padres just brought in Xander Bogarts, one of the top players. They brought him over from the Red Sox. He's going to play shortstop. Fernando Tatis is coming back from his um, injuries. He was out all last year. And, you know, the injuries, the suspension, all the drama with that. But he'll be back on April 20th. Plus, they've built up this pitching staff. I mean, my gosh, they they extended Yu Darvish to a big contract. They Brought in a couple of free agents that look to be pretty good in terms of Michael Waka and Seth Lugo. So this team is interesting. And then, oh, by the way, you've got Juan Soto in the outfield. Probably the best hitter in all of baseball. He'll be in left field. Um, Manny Machado was just extended in the offseason. He's going to be a Padre for life. This is just an incredible time to be a Padre fan. And San Diegans are rightfully excited about the Padres. I mean, here we are. We're going to have, this is going to be one of the best sports weekends in San Diego history. We've got opening day for the Padres tomorrow, which is Thursday. Then we've got the final four uh, matchup between San Diego State and Florida Atlantic on Saturday. And by the way, all the opening day festivities will be continuing throughout the weekend. And then if the Aztecs are fortunate and they win on Saturday, they're going to play Monday night in the national championship in Houston, Texas. It's just unbelievable. So, you know, you go into the grocery stores, you go talk to your friends. I mean, this is what all the buzz and the chatter is about. It's about the Aztecs. It's about the Padres. You turn on the news, the local news, and you see people buying Final Four gear, people buying Padre gear. People are just excited. There is a buzz in this community, something we haven't felt for a very long time. Probably have to roll the clock back to, you know, maybe – well, last year in the National League uh, playoffs, the Padres had a great run. But go back to like 1995 when the Pod, where the Chargers were in the Super Bowl. Remember that? That was a great time to be a San Diegan. I remember just seeing blue and gold all throughout the city. I remember here along the Highway 15 driving by the Double Tree Golf Course, which, by the way, is a big housing development project that's underway. And I remember on one of the holes that you could see as you were driving southbound on the 15, there was this huge lightning bolt. And people everywhere were excited about the Chargers back in 1995. Oh, my God, that's like almost 30 years ago. You know, and then there were the two runs when the Padres went to the World Series in 84 and in 98. Also, great time where the San Diego community came together. And there was this excitement, this electricity, this buzz in town. And now we've got both programs after years and decades of misery and sports curses and and disasters and bad luck and every possible thing you can imagine. Now we've got two teams that are on the precipice of doing something incredible. Already the, the, the major league prognosticators are predicting that the Padres could win the World Series this year. And then you've got the Aztecs just two wins away from winning the national championship. So what a time to be a San Diego sports fan. What a glorious time for San Diegans to rally for their teams and get fired up and get excited. This is a great time to be a San Diego, and I'll tell you what. Now, um, 
before we get to some of the other things, this isn't an all sports topic. I already see a post from Pete. He's upset that it's a sports <laughs> podcast issue. You know, like I said, I, I normally discuss my sports stuff with, with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. You know, we do our live stream every Thursday at 3 and most Mondays at 3. But I like to talk about in my John Riley Project podcast, I like to talk about what's going on in San Diego. And right now, what's going on in San Diego are sports fans who are legitimately fired up for their teams. This is a very big issue right now. I mean, what a what a great time. Oh, and by the way, I think the Padres have a great shot of winning the World Series, too. I mean, could you imagine if we overcame the San Diego sports curse and brought home two national championships in men's basketball and in baseball? Holy moly, this is incredible. Okay, I do want to make one comment, um, a little bit of a tangent, and this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, And it's sports related, but it's also about cable television. I don't know about you, but I've cut the cord. Our family cut the cord on cable TV, on Cox Cable. We did this about, I think it was in November. And uh, it was a little rocky at first. You know, we're experimenting with all the different live streaming options. So, you know, we've, we've experimented with YouTube TV and direct TV. And we got some of these a la carte packages because, you know, we've been using Netflix and Amazon Prime and a lot of those other services as well. But to get the local news, to get sports, to get the Padres has never been really easy. You know, we're kind of working through some of these rough patches. Well, I have YouTube TV and I got that because I was able to get CBS Sports Network, which allowed me to watch the Aztec games. But now all the Aztec games are on all the, you know, it's on the big boy CBS. So I'm no longer watching it on streaming. And. I'm getting prepared for Padre season, and I, I know that there's a lot of controversy about what's going on with Bally Sports, which is, if you're on Cox Cable, that's Channel 56. That's the station where we watch the Padres and Bally Sports, which took over from Fox Sports West. They're about to go bankrupt, and there's been a lot of question over, are we going to be able to watch the Padres? But if you were on cable TV, it was generally no big deal. You just turn on Channel 56. But if you were streaming, there was a lot of questions and unknowns. And it seems like this happens every year as you get into the uh, the offseason and approaching opening day. But right now, it's particularly worse. But there has actually just been some really good news that was just released earlier today. And, um, and Diamond Sports Group, which is the uh, organization that owns Bally Sports, which is going through all these financial crises and they have to pay the Padres for the rights to broadcast them. Well, apparently they said publicly they're going to be making that payment and thus be eligible to broadcast the Padre game. So according to Padres chief executive officer, Eric Gruppner, and he was on 97.3 The Fan um, this morning, and he said the team has been assured payment that would arrive before the grace period expires later today. Great news. Great news if you're a Padre fan, because a lot of us were wondering, are we going to be able to see the games? Some of us were thinking we'd have to watch the games on MLB TV, but then on MLB TV, they black out the local games. You know, it's just so confusing. But we've been spoiled. We've been able to watch every one of the games all the time. Where You remember back in the day, God, when I was a kid, you'd be lucky to get one or two games a month. Now we get darn near every game. Uh, But that was really at risk. That was at jeopardy there. But now things have settled. So what we're doing is we subscribe to the direct TV stream package, and that gives us access to, you know, all the major networks. 
and a lot of sports channels and news channels, and one of them is Bally Sports. So as part of that that DirecTV streaming package, I think we're paying $89 a month, and it goes up to $99 a month after three months. And so far, so good. We've been watching some spring training games there. Um, I'm wondering if we're going to be able to access that a la carte. I'm kind of hoping that Major League Baseball eventually does take over all the broadcasting rights for baseball. So then I can just buy the MLB package because when you buy the direct TV stream, you got to buy, it's like cable TV. You got to buy like a hundred channels or more when I really only want to cherry pick like three or four of them. So, uh, but the good news is we're going to be able to catch the games on, on uh, Bally Sports. So again, if you want to know more about sports-related stuff, if you want to follow San Diego Sports, I, I strongly encourage you to watch my podcast or listen to my podcast with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, the legendary sports talk radio host, the former play-by-play man of the San Diego Chargers, Seattle Seahawks, Arizona State Sun Devils, one of the all-time great sportscasters, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. We do that every Thursday at 3, live streaming it right here from the John Riley Project Studios. And then we also do that uh, most Mondays um, also at 3. So check it out. Um, Hacksaw is back on the air after all those years on 690 and 1090. Okay, uh, let's move on down the road here. Actually got a couple of comments here on the live stream. So let me get those in while we're going down our list. Pete Neal says, I should have known this was going to be a sports podcast. No, it's not a sports podcast. We're about to talk about Nathan Fletcher and homelessness and mental health and the whole community forum about Rancho Bernardo and Poway schools and the Poway farm. We've got a whole bunch of other non-sports related stuff coming here. Um, And then, uh, Matthew Brannigan says, I've been seeing more roof antennas recently. I think cable TV is nearly dead. Yeah, that whole thing is changing. I think as more and more people are cutting the cord, that's why Bally Sports, I think, was having financial problems because there's less revenue being paid to Cox Cable by subscribers. And therefore, Cox Cable has less money to give Bally Sports. And then Bally Sports had less money to give to the Padres. So, yeah, I think this is a time of transition. You know, we're... We're all kind of learning more and more about streaming capabilities. I mean, we're, most of us have been doing this, you know, on our own with Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus, you know, because I got to watch The Mandalorian, got a new episode tonight. But now I think people are starting to go further with that in terms of their local news, their national news, their sports news, their sports programming. People are streaming now. And I think they're having a better experience. They're having more control over when they watch these, there is a lot of interesting online DVR options. And in the end, it's like, you know, the days of the old TV guide, you know, what's on right now. Those are kind of gone. It's a matter of you, you want to watch what you want to watch right now. And streaming gives us that capability. I think it's I think it's a great innovation, but we're going through a change in the guard here. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, Let's transition out of sports so we can uh, entertain Pete appropriately. And I want to talk about Nathan Fletcher. So um, Nathan Fletcher just made a really big announcement um, and he has decided to seek treatment, mental health treatment, alcoholism treatment. I mean, this is a big breaking story. Nathan Fletcher, of course, is um, on our San Diego Board of Supervisors. Um, So he's a very prominent local politician. 
Um, in fact, he may be or previously was the chair of the of the San Diego Board of Supervisors. Um, he's a uh, a former candidate for San Diego mayor. He's very well known, very well liked, and is a politician with aspirations and has a bright future ahead of him. And a lot of people thought he was going to take over and win Tony Atkins state Senate seat. And now we get this breaking news where according to the union tribune article, County supervisor, Nathan, Nathan Fletcher's surprise decision to seek immediate treatment for post-traumatic stress and alcohol abuse leaves his constituents temporarily without a representative and renders wide open the race for Tony Atkins' state Senate seat. This is, this is a really big deal in San Diego politics. Um, so Fletcher said he was going to go on medical leave and he's abandoning his run to succeed Atkins despite being a heavy favorite in the race. Yeah, big time. That's why it was such a shocker because everyone figured he was a shoe in I mean, no one would be able to compete with him if he went for this state Senate seat. So he went on to say, Fletcher said, with the recommendation of my therapist and the insistence of my wife, and we'll talk about his wife in a moment, this week I will be checking into an extended inpatient treatment center for post-traumatic stress, trauma, and alcohol abuse. It is clear I need to focus on my health and my family and do not have the energy to simultaneously pursue a campaign for state senate. Wow. Okay. First of all, I just want to say this right from the get-go here. Good for you, Nathan Fletcher. You're doing the right thing. Good for you for addressing your needs, your health, your personal situation as the primary. Good on you. Now, obviously, there are repercussions as this pertains to politics, and we might get into a little bit of that. Uh, But this is just a really fascinating story because usually a lot of people that run for political office – are so ego-driven. And I mean, we can name a long list of politicians that are ego-driven starting at the White House and working our way back. So it's surprising for a, pol- a politician to show some candor, some um, behind the curtain about some of the challenges that they're going through that aren't necessarily challenges that are being used as a political opportunity. We hear a lot of that about, you know, how candidates, they struggled when they were a child and all these things they've overcome and that makes them a better candidate. And I get it. But usually they spin that tale as a way to gain support of the populace. This is a case where a politician has said, hey, man, I got to take care of some stuff that's important. I need to address myself. I need to step down and focus here. This is interesting. And within the broader scope of mental health, this is particularly interesting. But let me let me get to a couple more quotes from this article that were very interesting. And this is an article in the in the Union Tribune. Um, and Lorena Gonzalez, his wife, who is also a very prominent political figure, she said, I love my husband and appreciate his willingness to put our families from our family first. Yeah, so Lorena Gonzalez is an interesting figure. And actually, kind of to tee it up, you have to sort of roll the clock back. Um, Nathan Fletcher, when we first when he first entered the political scene, he was a Republican. 
not a hardcore right winger, but kind of a moderate Republican. And if you remember, he ran for San Diego mayor. What was it in 2008? And then you know he came up short. But, you know, he was not really, again, not a hardcore right wing guy. And so shortly after he lost that race, he was an independent. And it was interesting to me that he became independent because I'm independent and I, I support this idea of thinking independently rather than being caught up with some of the nonsense of the political parties. Um, but as he continued to evolve politically, it became pretty clear that he was moving further and further to the left. And so he went from being a moderate Republican to being an independent to now being a moderate Democrat. And then he ends up marrying Lorena Gonzalez, who I think we could all agree is a very progressive Democrat. Of course, Lorena Gonzalez was the one that fought so hard for AB5, which was the state initiative to make gig working more or less illegal. You know, Uber drivers had to be employees of Uber and and on down the line. It wasn't just Uber, although that's who she was focused on. Uh, Lorena Gonzalez, a longtime assemblywoman, and I think now is a leader of one of the major labor unions. So she's a progressive. And Fletcher used to be this Republican, and he's been... Again, you wonder, is his, has, his, have, has his political views shifted over time? And is it because of a natural evolution of learning and growing and maturing? Or is it political opportunism? I don't know. But I do know is that he's stepping down from his race, and this is a big deal. Um, he goes on to say, for many years, I have been suffering from devastating post-traumatic stress associated with combat piled on top of intense childhood trauma that has been exacerbated by alcohol abuse. While I have shared some of these challenges publicly, they run much deeper than I have acknowledged. Outwardly, I have projected calm and composure. Internally, I have been waging a struggle that only those closest to me have seen. Wow. Um, apparently before he was, oh, he was on the state assembly, I guess prior to 2008, prior to his run for, gov- or for mayor of San Diego. But prior to that, he served in Iraq and in the Horn of Africa and the Middle East. So, yeah, he's probably witnessed a lot. If you served in Iraq, I mean, you know, a lot of these guys come back from Iraq with, with PTSD. So this to me is... A really interesting thing. I mean, I'm again, big thumbs up, Nathan Fletcher, for, you know, focusing on you, focusing on your life, focusing on your family. But there is a broader issue here with mental health. I mean, going back to sports, Hacksaw and I were just talking about Andrew Tolls, who is a outfielder for the Los Angeles Dodgers that has been suffering from mental health challenges and schizophrenia. And the Dodgers have been paying his salary for the last five years, even though he's not playing ball. And that's a tragic case. We're all learning more and more about mental health issues. I mean, because it involves, that's why we have a lot of our crises in our society. Homelessness, mass shootings. um, There's a lot of economic challenges that are going on. And mental health is a topic that tough guys would never admit. Tough guys would say, well, I don't have a problem. Only, you know, wussies go see therapists. But I think as we are getting better, we are realizing that mental health is as important or perhaps even more important than your physical health. And how 
getting help to resolve some of these challenges that you've got between your ears, and we all have them to varying degrees, addressing and resolving those issues can make a huge impact in your life, particularly as you are trying to essentially pursue your happiness. But it's incredible. Here's a few comments here from some other local political leaders. Um, fellow county supervisor Joel Anderson, a Republic, pr- Republican, praised Fletcher for seeking help. He said, it takes immense strength and courage to ask for help. So I am proud of everyone who takes the first step in getting their mental health on track. Joel Anderson. Good on you, Joel. Um, U.S. Representative Scott Peters you know, serves one of the districts here in San Diego County in the House of Representatives in D.C., a Democrat, and he posted on Twitter that it was it was painful to learn about the challenges Fletcher is facing. And Peter said, quote, I'm 100 percent behind you as you take care of yourself and your family. Just awesome. So, you know, we wish Nathan Fletcher well, but, you know, this is a this is a big deal um, in terms of him getting the treatment that he deserves. Um, and I, like I said, I, I applaud him completely because, you know, and we talk about this in this podcast all the time. This is a podcast about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when I talk about that, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, obviously that comes from the Declaration of Independence. We all have inalienable rights of our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But that's not just a empty promises in the Declaration of Independence. That's not just political rhetoric. That's like a philosophy of living, which essentially means we need to take our lives seriously. And we need to focus on ourselves. And we have to say, and and this might freak some people out here, but we have to say that it's okay to be selfish. It's okay to be self-interested. If you've got some challenges going on in your life, you need to you need to address them and do your best to resolve them. You can't be all you can be. You can't be the best person of your uh, best version of yourself unless you focus on yourself. Unless you are I'll just call it selfish but in a good way. And I think that's something that's really important to understand. The standard of your life should be you. <laughs> your life and your happiness should be your highest moral goal in life. And that's my, that's my vision. That's my philosophy. It's a philosophy that a lot of other people share as well. But so often people go through life suffering, feeling like they need to suffer so that they can help other people rather than helping themselves. I think in the end, we all want to go out there in the world. I always I often talk about these concepts of win-win and win-lose and lose-win. And let me just kind of tee that up. You know, there are people in our life, I guess, using the traditional form, uh, the traditional definition of the word selfish, where they pursue win-lose relationships. They want to win and they want to cause suffering and damage for other people so they lose. These are the people that we often think of as lying, cheating bastards. No one wants to be that, or no one should aspire to that. But then there's the opposite, where there are people that knowingly or subconsciously pursue lose-win arrangements. They suffer for the benefit of others. And does that make sense either? 
I don't think so. What does make sense, in my opinion, is pursuing win-win relationships. And in the end, that's what Nathan Fletcher is doing. He's addressing his own needs internally to make him a better person so that he can be a better husband and a better father in his family. And if he reemerges politically, he can be a, of better service to the constituents that he represents. So what he's doing is he's pursuing selfishness in the right way, which is win-win, as opposed to selfishness in the wrong way, which is win-lose. And I, I just think this is fantastic. You know, um, I've had my own issues with mental health. I have seeked help from therapists that have been very helpful. I journal. That's really helpful. When there's a bunch of noise in your mind and you need to kind of clear your head and think things through, journaling is very powerful. I've done multiple episodes on journaling in this podcast. Um, but I, I just really, I, I'm very proud of what Nathan Fletcher is doing. Um, and I mean, how often do you see politicians do this sort of thing? It's rare. Usually they'll end up getting in trouble and then they, they're, they're, taken, they're taken out in a disgrace, but not him. You know, he's, he's stepped up on this. And I think this is, this is tremendous. Um, got a few comments here on the live stream. And let's take a look. It's from Pete Neal. And he says, Nathan has my support as well. PTSD is a serious consequence that takes on several different forms. Yeah, totally agree, Pete. You know, Nathan Fletcher served in Iraq. I mean, he probably saw a lot of things that shook him. He probably saw people being killed, people being destroyed. He saw probably a lot of other fellow soldiers going through really difficult times. You know, there's, a, there's an interesting little um, video clip, if you go on YouTube, of George Carlin talking about PTSD. And he says, you know, after World War I, we called it shell shock. Two words, two syllables, impactful. And over time, it's been renamed to various other things. And now it's called post-traumatic stress disorder, which takes a lot of the oomph out of it and makes it seem less impactful. But still, it's the same thing. PTSD is a serious issue. And it's part of what's involved with homelessness, which we're going to get involved. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And Pete goes on to say, and Nathan is setting a great example for others, a needed form of leadership, which is sorely missing. 100% agree, Pete. 100% agree. This, I think, is spectacular. I give Nathan Fletcher great credit for what he's doing. And he's doing it at the risk of his own, you know, he probably thinks this is difficult to come public like this, but that's the nature of being a politician. Your life now is public, but he's stepping up. He's doing the right thing. And I think he's going to be a better guy for it down the road. Let's see how this all works out. Um, all right. So uh, let's move on. I want to talk a little bit about homelessness. We're going to get into the the community forum. Uh, got a lot more going on here. So uh, let's, move our banners around. If you're watching on the live stream on YouTube and on Facebook, I kind of like to manipulate some of the graphics here as we kind of step through some of the topics we're going to be discussing. Uh, before we get to the homelessness issue, um, I just encourage you, if you're interested in learning more about the John Riley Project, go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. Um, there you, you can have access to all of our episodes. This is episode number 314. Um, you can have access to all of our audio-only episodes, 
You can have access to all the video episodes. There's links to all of our social media uh, platforms. If you want to connect and subscribe, you can do that. Um, And we encourage you, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube. Click on the bell. Get the updates when we release new live streams and new video clip segments that that I release periodically throughout the week. And if you're interested in being a guest, you can see here I've got another chair and a microphone. If you're interested in being a guest on the John Riley Project or you would like to recommend a guest, then let me know. Drop, go to johnreillyproject.com or just send me an email, john at johnreillyproject.com. And we'd love to have guests here. We've had a lot of great guests. We've had um, politicians, um, aspiring politicians, community activists. We've had authors. Um, athletes, entrepreneurs. Um, We've had Corvette enthusiasts. I'm talking to you, Pete. We've had a lot of great people that have been on this podcast. So if you're interested in being a guest, that's how you can get involved. Okay. Now let's, I want to talk about homelessness. And this is a, this is a tough one um, because we can see homelessness everywhere. It's particularly acute in some parts of San Diego County. I mean, you go down by Petco Park, you know, particularly by uh, Father Joe's Village, and there, there are 10 encampments all over the place. But there are 10 encampments all throughout the county, under overpasses, in parks, in public areas. And that's the only, the visible part of, what, of homelessness. There's a tremendous amount of homelessness that's invisible, that are people living in their cars or people that are couch surfing, living with friends or family temporarily or people that maybe are living in tents, but so far removed from everyday society that we just don't see them. And so this is a serious problem, a serious crisis. Now, fortunately, a lot of our political leaders are doing their best or so they say to try to address this with varying degrees of success And it's a multidimensional problem. There's no silver bullet to solving homelessness. But there was some interesting data that came out about homelessness that I wanted to share because I I thought this was really interesting. So in San Diego, over the past year, the number of newly homeless has outpaced those that were housed. So homelessness is growing, not not. You know, it's not uh, lessening, it's expanding. So let me go through some of this data. And to me, this is is really interesting. So this is a monthly report on homelessness throughout San Diego County continues to show discouraging news with the number of people falling into homelessness, again, outpacing the number of homeless people who find housing. Data released Wednesday, that's that's today, by the San Diego Regional Task Force on Homelessness showed 725 individuals were housed in February with most renting places themselves. That's an interesting comment there. While 1,036 individuals experienced homelessness for the first time. So a little over 1,000 became homeless, 725 found homes. There's a delta there of like, you know, almost 300 of, uh, of new homeless. And God knows how accurate these studies are because there's so much homelessness that is so invisible. Um, and the trend last October, there was a 12 month average that showed that for every 13 people that became homeless, only 10 were housed that went from homelessness to having a home. So 
homelessness continues to expand despite the efforts of some of our political leaders. And it's interesting, too, how it breaks it down, because now there's a lot more people that are seeking homelessness services. And so these are some of the things government and nonprofits and other people are trying to do to help out the homeless. And they're about 27,000 of these folks in San Diego County that are in these programs. I think they're on the cusp of becoming homeless. Of those 27,000, 8,300 are at least 55 years old. 2,000 were youths between the age of 18 and 24. Almost 4,000 are veterans. And there are almost about 2,500 families that are seeking homelessness assistance because they're on the cusp of of losing their home. That's interesting how it breaks out. It's older people over age 55, and a lot of them are probably retired or not working. Younger people, age 18 to 24, that similar probably aren't working, or if they are working, not making a lot of money. Then veterans, you know, going back to the topic of PTSD that we talked about, a lot of veterans coming back from these wars that have serious mental health issues that are struggling to regain their footing in society. And it's not just individuals, but there are families, you know, parents with children, single parents with children that are struggling here. So what, it, what this tells me is that homelessness is expanding. Homelessness affects a lot of different demographics. But in a lot of ways, homelessness is really affecting who? The poor, the most. So this goes on to say, while the data shows efforts to stop homelessness appear to be losing ground, they also noted that reports show thousands of people are being housed and acquiring services. Okay, that's true. Um, but then, then on Tuesday, earlier this week, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors approved funding for a $300,000 pilot program to create a mobile app that will allow homeless research workers, first responders, and others to locate within minutes available shelter beds for people on the street. That's good. When I first heard this news breaking, I was thinking, well, how many homeless people are going to have a smartphone that can use this app? And I know some of them do, of course. Many of them do. But in this case, this is an app for people that are trying to help the homeless. Again, a multifaceted problem. I mean, long term, we got to find people housing. But in the short term, we got to get people off the streets. I mean, did you see there was a video that was re- released not too long ago about homelessness or homeless people attacking a driver in downtown San Diego and beating on the window or the rear view mirror with, I don't know if it was a baseball bat or a pipe. And it turns out that the driver of that car then tried to retaliate and try to run over the homeless people and struggled to do so. And then they later found out that driver was drunk. I mean, there's just a lot going on. I mean, you go down to downtown San Diego a lot of these folks that are homelessness, they're suffering. I mean, they're suffering physically and mentally. And it makes you wonder, were they mentally ill and then became homeless or were they homeless and then became more mentally ill? But in the end, this is kind of crossing over a bit with what the Nathan Fletcher story is all about. But now they have this app that's going to allow some of these um, homeless proponents, you know, out there to help the homeless. They can hopefully find these people shelter nearby quickly so they can get off the streets. 
And if they can get off the streets, that's win-win. That's win for the homeless person that gets now proper shelter. Gosh, especially when it's raining as it is right now. And at the same time, it's good for that neighborhood to have less of the riffraff on the street. That's good. Now, there was one other quote in here that I thought was interesting. And it it said that Governor, California Governor Gavin Newsom is expected to announce a new initiative aimed at reducing homelessness. Newsom is scheduled to be in San Diego on Sunday to discuss mental health reform, which is often associated with homelessness. So good on you, Gavin. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, because I was up in Sacramento about a year ago. I went up there to watch a UC San Diego versus Sacramento State basketball game, just like a little boondoggle weekend. And I was surprised by how much homelessness there was in Sacramento. I mean, after all, that's our state capital. But there were huge encampments that I drove by as I was getting on and off the freeway up there. I mean, we've seen all of it in Los Angeles. I mean, it's everywhere in the state of California. And it's getting worse. It's expanding. And our local politicians are unable to solve the problem. And I'm going to break down the problem a little bit here in a second. But, well, let's go, let's go there right now. I mean, what's the main reason for this? I mean, like I said, there's no silver bullet. But look at where homelessness is the greatest. And I, I got these stats. Um, and this was from the, um, the website worldpopulationreview.com. And... They got this data from the United States Interagency Council on Homelessness, and they rank the top 10 states in terms of homelessness per capita. In other words, the states with the highest proportion of homelessness, not gross numbers, but the, the proportion. Number one, New York. Number two, Hawaii. Number three, California. Four is Oregon. Five is Washington. If you go down the list, six is Alaska, seven Massachusetts, eight Nevada, nine Vermont, 10 Colorado. But look at the top three, New York, Hawaii, California. What do all three of these states have that make them very different from the other 47 states in America? Housing's really expensive. (laughs) And that's why this homelessness crisis really affects the poor the most. And this is where the politicians, in my opinion, are one of the reasons why we have the homelessness crisis today. In some ways, it's their fault, the politicians. What have they done? They've restricted the development of housing. We don't have enough housing in in, in San Diego. That's why rents are so high, because the demand is high to live here. But there's very few places to rent, so those landlords get to enjoy high rents because of the nature of supply and demand. The same thing is true for buying real estate. There's very little inventory. Real estate agents have a hard time securing a listing for a buyer because there's so few of them. And that's why home prices have been so high. And so while local politicians have been getting the support of their local community, particularly NIMBYs that don't want more housing or want to slow down housing or want to limit housing, or in some cases don't want new housing at all, they've done so at the expense of creating a housing crisis that in turn is making housing all the more expensive. And we see this, like it's on the news. Like you'll see on the news that 
in many neighborhoods in San Diego County where these people have these single family homes and they're in their backyard and they're being interviewed on the local news. And right over their shoulder, over their backyard fence is one of their neighbors who's building a four unit apartment building in their backyard. And they're going, what is this? This is disrupting my neighborhood. And well, yeah, it is disrupting your neighborhood. But for the longest time, they've been able to prevent that. They've been able to use government zoning laws and regulations to prevent more density of housing. To prevent, in many cases, not just a granny flat, but putting like a three or four bedroom or three or four unit apartment building in some people's property. And as a result, this is creating, when you look at it from a macro basis, that's what's created this housing crisis. And now the chickens are coming home to roost because now the unintended consequences of this is expanded homelessness. Now, there are other factors, too. I mean, mental health, we talked about that with Nathan Fletcher, Andrew Tolls. Mental health is a big issue. Um, And it's not just mental health, but it's also kind of the way people think about how to manage their own lives. People are not just suffering from mental health issues. They're also not being educated on how to be successful in life. There's a lot of different things going on there. Um, PTSD, another big part of the homelessness crisis, which we just talked about with veterans coming back from war that are shook, that are struggling to reintegrate into society. That's it. And, and so, again, who you know, a lot of these guys are being sent to these wars in Iraq and Afghanistan because of, guess who? The politicians that create that situation. Of course, there's tremendous addiction that leads to homelessness, or maybe homelessness leads to addiction. I mean, I I think you can look at it in either direction. But no doubt, if people are feeling down about their life, feeling depression or anxiety, feeling despair for their economic situation because they can't afford the rent where they live, a lot of people will turn to alcohol and drugs to escape escape the reality of life. And in doing so, it creates addiction and and ongoing, we go down the rabbit hole. But again, I think that goes back to mental health. It goes back to how to be successful in life, how to navigate life. Maybe they don't have the right type of education, the right mentors in life to guide them when they need that guidance. I mean, already we see that a significant portion of homelessness are people between the ages of 18 and 24. They're probably suddenly living on their own and struggling to find their way. Um, So, again, I think it's interesting how these are all related. How the Nathan Fletcher issue and his mental health challenges have led to his resignation, him stepping down not only from the County Board of Supervisors, but stepping down from this state Senate campaign that he was pretty close to a stone cold lock to win take over Tony Atkins seat because he needed to address his own PTSD. He needed to address some of the trauma and violence that he experienced as a child. And in many ways, he sought his own escape from that to alcohol. And that led to some issues as well. So he and his wife, 
Lorena Gonzalez, they're working as a team and they're addressing Nathan Fletcher's issues. Good on Nathan. Good on Lorena. Lorena is not my favorite politician because uh, we differed so much in AB5, but good on her for doing the right thing for her family and for her husband. And good on Nathan for taking care of himself. And I'm about to say something that's going to maybe upset some people, but good on Nathan for putting himself first because he needs to do that. It's his life. You only live once, man. You got to get that straightened out. And I'm very happy that he's doing that. But there's a lot of this, and this cascades throughout society. That's why we have, like, the mass shooting in Nashville. That's why we have some of these other problems in homelessness, addiction issues. A lot of this comes down to mental health. A lot of this comes down to, in a lot of ways, almost like a philosophy of living and mentorship and education and really being given tips on how to navigate and be successful in a more and more complex world. It makes you think that maybe is our education system not stepping up? Is that not doing what's necessary? I mean, there's a lot of different ways this can go. And these issues have always exist throughout human civilization going back millennia. But they're just so much more visible now. Not just with social media, but, you know, when you're driving around town, you see this sort of thing. So, I don't know. I, I just think this is interesting. I think there's a lot more that can be done with homelessness. But the first thing that local politi- politicians should do is build more housing. And when they do, and it doesn't matter if they build it at the high end, the middle end, or the low end. Wherever they build it, it's going to relieve pressure. Now, granted, a lot of people say, well, you're building all this new housing, but it's just for rich people. Well, There's people in the middle that are moving up that have become wealthy and they're moving into those. And that means the people on the low end are also moving up into the middle. And that opens up a lot of housing opportunities at the lower end. And if if they can build more housing, you know, for first timers, condos, more affordable housing units, if they can relax regulations so they can build more kind of smaller apartment buildings, you know, 800 square foot kind of an apartment Um, Not a bad idea. A great way to get someone a place to live, an affordable place to live, a place where they can build their life, build their self-esteem, build their career, and then take next steps in life. And we can't have that if there's this constant resistance to, to development of housing. It seems like the NIMBYs are starting to really lose control. I mean, that's definitely true in Poway, where I live. But it's, you'll see that all throughout Rancho Santa, Rancho uh, Peñasquitos. There's a tremendous amount of development going there. There's development in Escondido, in Oceanside, in Vista, in National City, Imperial Beach, La Mesa. We've covered a lot of this in this podcast. That's good. But while that is good, it's upsetting a lot of people. And I often think that they don't really understand the greater context of what they're creating by opposing a lot of this housing. Okay, so uh, got another comment here. We'll get everyone involved before we go into the community forum. And Pete says, there were signs of homes created by homelessness in what was Stone Ridge before the construction started. So yeah, so, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but let's go over this particular topic. The Stone Ridge Country Club in North Poway was shuttered, I don't know, how long ago was it? Six, seven years ago? Um, and was convert was you know the the owner of that property wanted to convert it to housing, and it failed in one of the 
local propositions that eventually passed in 2020. Now there's a tremendous amount of development. But for a period of time, maybe three or four years, that golf course was went fallow. They weren't watering it. They weren't maintaining it. And it became something of a suburban wilderness zone. And yeah, I'm sure there were some homeless people that went there as well, you know, because they're in the shadows. And that's a place they could go. But in the end, we want to find opportunities for homeless people not to be living in tents, but to be living in homes. And that's only going to happen when we kind of address some of these larger issues about housing, mental health. I mean, this is a this is a problem that has been created over a very long period of time. That's going to take a long period of time to solve. And there is no silver bullet. No one's, you can't, no one's going to say that this is the one thing that will solve homelessness. I mean, we can stack rank the reasons for homelessness and probably get different opinions. I mean, in my opinion, it's a supply-demand thing. There's not enough supply, and therefore housing is expensive. And therefore people that are living on the edge suddenly can't make their rent payment, and then they're out, and then they're on the street. And then it takes a lot of effort to kind of get back on solid footing. But, you know, while I said earlier that the top three states where homelessness per capita is the highest are California, New York, and Hawaii, where housing is so expensive. But we don't really hear a whole lot about major homeless crises in a lot of lower income states like Mississippi and Alabama and a lot of other places. I mean, there's homelessness everywhere. But it's less of a crisis there because poor people can still find housing that's affordable. Because right now, housing is so distorted. I mean, how much, you know, we're homeowners, but how much does it cost to rent an apartment in San Diego? I've been out of the market for so long. It's got to be at least $2,500 a month, if not $3,500, especially if you wanted to live in a halfway decent area. And I'm sure many people are paying way more than that. That's the problem. It's just not affordable because there's so little inventory. Okay. um, (laughs) And uh, got another comment here from T. Riley 37. That's my good son, Trevor. He says, how much do those homes cost? Are you referring to the homes um, in the farm in Poway? Yeah, those are starting at around a million. I think originally they were planning that some of the the smaller homes, I know they're going to have some uh, homes that shared a wall, you know, like a duplex. I think there, there are some of those that are in that that neighborhood. And I think they were hoping, at least when they sketched out the plan originally, 700000 or so on the low end. But, you know, the housing market has evolved since then, and now homes are even more expensive. So, you know, homelessness people are not going to be moving into the farm in Poway. But a lot of middle-class, middle-income people that are taking a step forward, they maybe got a promotion at work or are enjoying some economic good times. And a lot of people are, even despite all the craziness going on in our economy. There's a lot of people that are still doing very well and are upgrading their life and moving out of that old home and have an opportunity to move into a brand spanking new home in a new neighborhood in a really nice city, Poway, California. Yeah, there's a lot of people doing that. But when they move out of their older home, Someone's got to move in. And that creates a cascading effect that opens up housing units all across 
the spectrum, including at the low end, that I think can be helpful to help partially resolve the homeless crisis. Okay. Um, I invite more of your thoughts and comments on the live stream. If you got any other thoughts or ideas, type them in on the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved. Uh, but I do got I do have a number of other interesting things here. These are comments from my YouTube channel, um, and these are people that you know. I take these these live streams, which are usually about an hour long, and then I split them up into little chunks that are like five minutes, ten minutes, sometimes a little longer segments so they're a little bit easier to digest and we get a lot of comments there as well so i want to share those with you these are good jumping off points for the discussion and this is from wave dog 100 and this person was commenting about the farm in poway and about the fitness club that's going to be going in there called lifetime fitness you know originally it was supposed to be a 3000 square foot fitness club kind of a local yokel club and now the project you know spokesperson kevin mcnamara wants to bring in this big brand, Lifetime Fitness, and make it all like roughly a 30,000 square, square foot facility, essentially 10x the size. And it's got a lot of people upset, you know, because not only is it big, but it's a change from the plan where all along Kevin McNamara promised there would be no changes. But now he's trying to get the city council to approve these changes. But Wave Dog says, why is a large amount of traffic going to and from a massive fitness center on an undersized road, driving by the homes on the farm, residences, considered good? How is that progress? So I think this person is commenting on what I had said previously, where I'm a supporter of that project of the farm. Because overall, it's progress. I mean, like what Pete was commenting earlier, it was a it was an abandoned golf course that had turned into a suburban jungle that was a fire hazard and was attracting homeless encampments. The land was not being used productively. And now this land is being transformed into housing to provide roofs over people's heads, into a nice neighborhood with a lot of interesting amenities that are going to be available to the general public. Trails, farmers' gardens, flower fields. There's going to be a place there that, you know, a restaurant or bar or some kind of a facility that'll be there. There's a hall that you can rent out for weddings and other community events, an amphitheater. Sounds interesting to me. I, to me, that's an upgrade. That's good. That's progress. Now, we can debate now whether or not we need to have the little 3,000-square-foot local yokel club versus the 30,000-square-foot club, clearly there are people with financial interests involved, and Kevin McNamara is one of them. It may be a better financial win for him to have that club there rather than the original plan. It might also be something that the locals there really like and really want and, and may, in fact, enjoy. We don't know. Um, will that little road be able to accomp uh, handle all that traffic? I don't know. But they definitely have to provide parking for that. We're, we'll see on this. But in the end, if people think that that fitness club is too intrusive in that community, then they just won't buy there. They're going to say, I don't want to live next to a big, like, you know, it's like a 24-hour fitness, but a much higher-end club. 
If people see that that club's going in, they might say, you know what? I'm not going to buy one of those houses. And they'll look elsewhere. For some people here and locally might really like that club there because like for speaking for myself, I used to go to Choose Fitness and Rancho Bernardo. They shut down. Having another club here locally might be a good thing. Might get a lot of people excited about that. Um, <laughs> T. Riley says, Lifetime Fitness is very nice. Great pickup basketball. Yeah, so it should be a good club. I think it's going to be nice. It's a different and people are upset about change. People that are upset with the farm project in general aren't happy. People that are upset with McNamara aren't happy. People that are upset that this went to a vote and now he wants to change it, they're not happy. There are a lot of people that have various reasons for not being happy. There's a lot of people that live off of Stone Ridge that used to have a backyard that looked out over the 18th fairway or the 5th fairway or wherever. And now they don't have that golf course view that they loved. There's a lot of people that are still angry about that. As far as I'm concerned, you know, it's McNamara's project. I don't have a problem with the change. Granted, he probably shouldn't have been so hardcore that there would be no changes because now he's sort of painted himself into a corner. Um, But is this going to be good for the community? I mean, already we got someone that's a fan for the basketball court, so we'll find out. Okay, moving on. We got a couple more comments from the YouTube channel. And this is from If Then. And this person was commenting on the Black's Beach migrant tragedy. Pete Neal was here in the podcast studio. We talked about this particular topic about these um, immigrants coming ashore on Black's Beach in La Jolla um, on kind of rinky dinky boats in the middle of a storm. And tragically, eight people lost their lives. And if then said, the people get the government they deserve. Yes, this is a border issue, no matter how you spin it. Yeah. You know, Pete and I debated that here on the podcast. I said it was a border issue. Pete says it's not a border issue because Pete was saying this has been going on for a long time, for decades. And it's he's right. Pete's right. Boats have been coming and landing ashore in San Diego, coming up the, the coast from Baja and just like boats are traveling from Cuba to Florida. You know, people are looking for an opportunity to pursue their happiness, to have the liberty to live their life according to their own values. People want to come to America. This is a land of opportunity. It's a land where my ancestors came. And they can't get here because there's a wall or because there's an immigration policy that limits the number of people that can come in. And so people take measures into their own hands. And that's why they end up on these boats. And tragically, that's why some of these people die. So it's a, it's, it's a border issue, but more broadly, it's an immigration policy issue. In my opinion, you make legal immigration easier, faster, cheaper. Then more people can come in legally. That means there'll be less illegal immigration. That means there'll be less people dying on boats in the middle of the night in storms. That means there'll be less people getting transported in dangerous environments with coyotes, having to walk over treacherous deserts. That means that there would be more people living legally in the light rather than in the shadows. Because a lot of people that come here illegally are getting paid under the table. They're, you know, sometimes they're kind of living in unusual circumstances because of the nature of the fact that they don't have legal residency. 
So I'd like to see, you know, this is a land of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That doesn't just apply to Americans. Those inalienable rights apply to everybody, including Mexican migrants. So I'd love to see them change that policy so they can fix these sorts of things. Here's another one. This is a kind of a funny comment. This is about Dane White, the new 33-year-old mayor of, of Escondido. I did a little segment on him a few months ago, and someone responded. From, his name is the TI Experience. He said, the new mayor is a putz. <laughs> you know, uh, I, did, I covered his um, inauguration when he was sworn in. Because Escondido is right next door to where I live in Poway. My mother lives in Escondido. So I like to pay attention to what's going on there. And this is, this is a 33-year-old young man that is the mayor of the fourth largest city in the county. I mean, that on it, in and of itself, it's pretty interesting. Um, I follow Mayor Dane White on social media. And, you know, he's a newbie as mayor. He's only been in office for about three months. But that guy, he's getting around. He's meeting with a lot of people. He's very open, very public. He's attending a lot of events. He's really being transparent. He's holding, he's doing live streams, just like I'm doing this podcast, interacting with people in the community. I think that's really healthy. Frankly, I like to see our own Poway City Council doing more of that, more of this outreach, more of this sort of like a town hall kind of thing where the political leaders are in these open forums and they're engaging with the public and fielding questions in a public forum. He's doing that. And interestingly, when I posted um, one of those video clips on my Twitter, he responded and said, hey, I'd be happy to be a guest on your podcast. So I do want to have Dane White, the mayor of of Escondido, here in the podcast studio. I need to set that up. Because Escondido is going through a lot of changes. They're, They're dealing with a lot of housing growth. They're dealing with a lot of redevelopment. They're dealing with homelessness. They're dealing with a lot of changes that are going on at the Westfield Shopping Center, the mall, which I think has a new name now. There's a lot going on in Escondido. He'd be an interesting guest to have. So I welcome him when the time is right. Um, okay. And uh, here's one more in the, in the live stream comments. This is from Mike Devine. And Mike is a good guy. Mike lives here. Well, he used to live here in Poway. I think he lives in Ramona now. And, uh, but he's a longtime business owner in Poway and lived here for a very long time. And Mike is very politically active. And Mike likes to respond to my YouTube videos. And I picked one of many of his responses that I thought were appropriate. And this is about the roads in Rancho Bernardo. I was always complaining about when I drive on Carmel Mountain Road and what a disaster it is. And when I drive down the road, there are potholes, there's loose gravel, there are all these undulations. And, you know, it's, it's like pretty crazy driving your car up and down Carmel Mountain Road. And it's really bad on Ted Williams Parkway and a lot of other parts of, of our Rancho Bernardo. And I was saying those roads are absurd. Mike said, when I designed the Carmel Mountain Ranch Town Center, like, whoa, Mike, you designed the Carmel Mountain Ranch Town Center? Really? That's awesome if you did. He says, where Ralph's and Starbucks is now in 1988, we had to deal with significant amounts of clay soil. Clay highly expands when wet and shrinks when dry. Maybe that's the problem with Carmel Mountain Ranch Road, the clay soil base expanding and contracting in the rain. Hey, finally, a scientific answer to this. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Because you know where... 
where the road is particularly bad is right at the intersection of Carmel Mountain Road and Rancho Carmel Road. It's kind of like, yeah, that intersection and the next one further south where the trucks are going in and out of the post office, um, you know, right by the Shell Station and the Islands and the Costco gas station. There's like a little road there. In that intersection on Carmel Mountain Road, the the road is just a disaster. It's all these, you know, it's like a miniature golf course and all this loose gravel. And you got big trucks driving over that with all that weight. And if that's built on clay, then that makes sense. that It's kind of mushing around like Play-Doh. And that's why those roads are such a disaster. I mean, I, when I was driving my car down the road, not like a couple of weeks ago, and granted it was during the rain, um, and, but it wasn't raining, but it was, as it's been raining, you know, we've been getting more of the potholes. And, but still, I drove over this gravel, and that's all you can hear on the undercarriage of the car was this clitter clatter of gravel. As you're just driving down Carmel Mountain Road, you're thinking, is this America's finest city, or am I like in a third world country? What is this? And there are other places in San Diego, we could probably make a long list of where the roads are bad. Now, they're trying hard to fill all those potholes. But you think one of the basic, most fundamental things that government should do besides police and fire are roads. And, you know, thankfully here in the city of Poway, our roads are pretty good. Now, Pete was here last time arguing they're not as good as they look, but compared to everywhere else, they're pretty damn good. Um, but Mike, thanks for that comment. Um, I could have included a whole bunch of other Mike Devine comments, but I would have made this, you know, a Mike Devine segment. But I'm going to start doing this more often is in getting more of these YouTube commenters involved um, just to kind of make the community forum segment kind of work a little bit better. Uh, Pete Neal says the mix of clay and sandstone is a huge issue in Poway as well. I always thought it was decom- is it decompressed granite? DCP, is that what they called it? Um, I know there's just a lot of, you know, geological issues that affect this. But I I just remember back when I was a kid doing, um, studying the Roman roads, which, by the way, many of them are still in existence in parts of Europe. You know, there's a science, there's technology to how they build roads, all these different layers of substrate. And I mean, I'm way beyond my pay grade here, but it's amazing that how advanced the science is that they can't overcome this. Um, And at the very minimum, even if the roads are such that the clay makes them very difficult to manage, they're just way the hell behind on maintenance. How, how is that possible? I still, I'm just blown away by this. And, you know, it's tough people to live in Carmel Mountain or in Rancho Bernardo or in Sabre Springs, which is where these roads are that I'm bitching and moaning about. You know, they're in San Diego, not Poway. So in San Diego, they have a lot less control. They can make recommendations. They can have committees and, and propose ideas, but they can't get direct action from their local leaders. You know, there's been a number of people, one guy here in Poway, Joe Calabrese, has written multiple uh, letters to the editor to PomeradoNews.com, Poway Chieftain, Rancho Bernardo Journal, about the roads on Carmel Mountain, specifically, you know, uh, pointing the finger at city councilwoman Marnie Von, Bil- Von Wilpert, 
that she's not listening. She's not taking meetings. She's not escalating this. And you would hope that she would. People are really getting frustrated by this. And it's just gotten worse with all the rain. But, you know, when it rains, which is sadly too rare, you're going to have potholes. You're going to have street problems. But my God, we, we go through years with very little rain at all. And yet still, some of these roads are just a mess. Okay. I have one final comment. And um, before, and I was going to include this as a segment in the podcast, but I figured I would get to it next week. But then I got a, I got a, a note here from one of our listeners. Um, and it's from Bernie. And uh, Bernie's a good guy. Bernie listens to our podcast. Bernie, Sam, I'm going to make sure I say his name right. Samani, Samaniego Guzman. Local Poway guy here, um, very interested in our community, does a lot of cycling around towns. He's, he's just a good guy. And he sent me this link. He says, have you seen this? And it was on my phone here. And it's a uh, it's the article that was on NBCSanDiego.com about the Poway Unified School District says dozens of school buildings will soon be unsafe. And this is a topic we've covered multiple times in the podcast. And it's true. You know, they're dealing with a lot of serious infrastructure problems at Poway Unified here in Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Carmel Mountain, Saber Springs, Rancho Penasquitos, Forest Ranch, Westwood. A lot of these schools, particularly the schools on the east side of the 15, there's, there's some serious challenges going on here. And he said, Bernie said to me, if our schools start to slip in status, housing prices will drop. Oh, my God, what will we do? Keep them, here's what's happening. They're setting the stage for another school bond vote. They had a vote in 2020 to have a bond to fund, I think it was like a half a billion dollars of infrastructure improvements to the schools. And it failed. Not by much. I think you needed 55%. I think they might have gotten 52 or 53%. They came very close. Because there is a legitimate need to upgrade these facilities. But people are still burns. People are still angry. People are still peeved about the billion dollar bond that went down about 10 or 11 years ago. Where Poway Unified was made a national disgrace. Where they borrowed roughly $100 million and agreed to pay that back with one roughly $1 billion dollars. In taxes, a 10 to 1 ratio. There are people that are still angry about that, including me. And by the way, we don't start paying on that bond, I think, until 2033, if I recall. And then it continues for 20 years. And that's part of the reason why it's so expensive, because they delayed payments on principal and interest for 20 years and then decided to pay it out starting in year 21 through year 40. And so now the schools that were upgraded need repair again, and we haven't yet paid for the first bond that now we have to pay to fix the things that that first bond was supposed to do. Am I saying that right? I think I am. This is a serious issue. Poway Unified, in my opinion, rushed to get that on the ballot in 2020. They didn't do a good enough job educating the public 
And they didn't really good, do a good enough job listening to the public and understanding what their objections are and what the feeling is in the public, particularly as it relates to the billion-dollar bond and how receptive people are to addressing schools. But still, for many people, they weren't even here 10 years ago. They moved here, just like I moved here to start a family, and now their kids are in schools and they don't know about the billion-dollar bond. All they know is that they go into some of these schools, like Poway High School, the gym, the locker rooms in the gym are a disgrace. The drains don't work. The ceiling leaks. I mean, it's, it's a mess. And there's a lot of other cases like this in our schools where the ceilings are leaking and there's not enough maintenance being done. What are they going to do? Now, in my opinion... They need to fix these things. I mean, what what could be more important in these schools than the safety of our children? And if they're in classrooms that are unsafe because the roof's about to cave in or because the electrical is sketchy or because they don't have enough heating or air conditioning, Rancho Bernardo just went through that with failed air conditioning units at Rancho Bernardo High and Rancho Bernardo Middle School. During a heat wave, they had to send kids home for their safety. It's ridiculous that this wasn't addressed properly with the billion-dollar bond, and now the problem has gotten worse, and then they've already spent the billion-dollar bond money. Makes you wonder what they really spent it on. They need to fix these things. But the question is, is how do you fund it? They're going to come back to the voters, no doubt, and they're going to have another bond. They're going to try again, I predict, in 2024, either in the primaries, which— Are they in March now in California? I think they are. Or it'll be in the general election in November. My guess is it'll be in the general election because that's when they'll get the most people. And I think when they have the most people voting, especially knowing that San Diego overall has become more and more blue and Poway, traditionally a very red Republican area, voted more for Biden than they did for Trump in 2020. Poway is becoming more blue. God, Amita Saravala, the president of the Poway Democratic Club, came on this podcast. We broke down the data. And he's right. Poway's becoming more blue. Parts of Rancho Bernardo, 4S, I mean, other parts of Poway Unified are probably a lot more receptive to approving a bond. If they got 53%, could they get 55 next time? I think they can. And I, I know darn well they're going to try. But even if they can't, What they need to do is they still need to borrow the money and do the fixing, but they can fund it out of their existing budget. Right now, they get, roughly speaking, a half billion dollars a year in revenue. And that money pays for teachers and staff and, you know, food services programs and books and all the things that the school district needs for its 39 schools. But understand, it's a half a billion dollars. Not too many years ago, it was well under 400 million. It just keeps increasing. Now, imagine if they took 10% of their budget. Well, imagine first they stack ranked what was most important. They want to, we need to pay teachers well. We need to do this. We need to do that. But school safety has got to be right near the top of that list. Now, imagine if they just took 10% of that budget. Speaking in broad terms, it's a half a billion, $500 million a year. And they just allocated 10% of that. 50 million a year 
they could borrow roughly a billion and pay it back out of the general fund of just 10% because they don't really budget enough now for maintenance. And the reason they don't is because they're always allocating money and giving raises to employees. Now, in my opinion, they need to take a hard look at that. They need to decide, okay, do we need to pay our employees more, pay our teachers more? Yeah, probably. But the next question is, is do you need all those people? Can you outsource some things? Can you consolidate things? Can you find efficiencies? I mean, do you really need your own payroll department when you can outsource that? Do you really need a food services department when you can outsource that? Or do you really need your own trucks and warehousing when you can outsource that? What other kinds of opportunities are there that they can optimize that budget to the point where they can clear out 10%? You know, it's like the old Jack Welch thing when he was president of GE. He would always go through every year and cut the bottom 10%, however they defined it. The least productive, the lowest return on investment. He'd find a way to trim the bottom 10%. Imagine if they took 10% of that budget and reallocated it to payments on a bond that came out of the general fund. If they had $50 million a year over 20 years, that's a billion dollars in payments. That's how they can fund their own infrastructure upgrade without having to go back to the taxpayers and tap them again, who haven't even started paying on the billion-dollar bond. Because if that bond rolls around, how much is that going to cost? I mean, we're talking, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are, but it's around 200, 600 bucks a year per parcel. You know, depending on the value of your home, it could be a lot more. Should the local people fund the schools? Well, definitely the parents should fund the schools. But I think the schools have an opportunity, if they really think of this rationally, if they really stack rank what their real priorities are, then they can allocate a portion of that budget to self-finance a lot of these infrastructure improvements because they do need them. So and this is a topic that we're going to explore in a lot more detail um, later on especially if the, if the bond measure goes on a ballot. I, I'd love to have people on this podcast, both pro and con, to talk about it. I tend to be anti-bond. I've always been that way. Um, but usually when you have a bond for the children, it usually passes. And, uh, and what they did, remember originally to get a school bond pass, you used to have to get three, two-thirds of the voters. But they could never get two-thirds So what did they do? They changed the rules, and now you only need 55%. But now they're still failing to get 55%. I think they had like 52 or 53. I don't think they're going to change the rules again. I think they're realizing they only need a couple more percent to get over the hump. I think if if you're for the bond, I think there's a way to do it, to properly educate the people, to probably properly listen to the people, and to put together a plan that has broad community support well in advance of before you go to the ballot box. They didn't really do that sufficiently last time in 2020. It felt rushed to me. Um, So let's see what happens. Oh my God, we're at an hour and 30 minutes. Okay, so um, let's wrap up this bad boy. Um, Thank you for all of you that were listening and watching the John Riley Project. This is episode 314. We do this every Wednesday at 12 noon. 
If I have time and opportunity, I'll do bonus podcasts, but definitely Wednesdays at 12. Um, You can tune in on the live stream on Facebook or on YouTube. Um, On my YouTube channel, I'll take this hour and a half podcast and break it up into chunks and put that out on YouTube so that you can digest these in smaller increments. And, And we invite your thoughts and comments. You can see I'm getting their YouTube commenters involved in the podcast as well. So we invite your thoughts and comments. If you want to learn more about what we're doing here, go to my website, johnreillyproject.com, and you can learn a little bit more about what we're doing. If you want to be a guest or you know someone you'd like to recommend to be a guest, you can do so on the website. Um, And if there are topics that you think we should be covering that we're not covering to the the depth that you think they deserve— then let me know. You send me an email, john at johnreillyproject.com, or just go to my website and let me know. Okay, friends, um, have a great week. Go Padres, go Aztecs, stay dry, and pursue your happiness. We'll see you later, friends. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.